0: Well, listen, I hope you guys are having a great week so far. If tonight is your very first time with us, I just want to say that that we are so glad that you are here and you have picked an awesome week to be here because tonight we are wrapping up one of my favorite teaching series called Broken Saviors. And over the past few weeks, we have been walking through the book of Judges. It's one of the first books that we come to in the Old Testament. And the book of Judges is a story all about God's people, the Israelites. And as we've walked through this book of Judges, we have seen that the Israelite people, God's people, were pretty much a mess. They were a train wreck. You see, prior to to the book of Judges, through Moses, God had led the Israelites out of Egypt and eventually into the, the Promised Land. And during this time, God had been faithful to his people over and over again. They've seen God perform countless signs, countless miracles. He's demonstrated his faithfulness to them so many times. But as they've settled into into the promised land, as they've they've made this space their their new home, they've begun to get a little bit comfortable. They began to, to believe this lie that they knew better than God. And eventually, what we see throughout the book of Judges is that the Israelite people turn their back on God. You see, for for decades, they become stuck in this cycle of what we often call the the cycle of the Judges. It's going to be on the the screen behind me. And and in this cycle, it's going to be up there in a second. There it is. In this cycle, we see four primary things. You see, because of the Israelites' disobedience, because of the fact that they have have turned their back on God, God would allow them to be conquered by their enemies. Their enemies would would oppress them, meaning that their enemies would make their lives miserable. And this went on for for years and years and years, until eventually the the Israelites would come to the point where they get so sick of being oppressed— where they get so sick of living under the control of this nation that's conquered them that they turn away from their sin and they cry out to God for help. They're asking God to, to step in and to intervene in this situation that they found themselves in. And how would God answer this cry for help? You see, God would provide deliverance through broken saviors. You'll see them often referred to as judges, And so far, we've talked about three different judges. We've talked about Ehud, we've talked about Deborah, and last week, we talked about Samson. And all three of these these judges were imperfect, broken people. They had messed up lives, they made poor decisions, they had weaknesses, but yet God used them in a very powerful way to deliver the Israelites, But more importantly than the fact that these judges were just broken, ordinary people, they also play a significant role in the Old Testament. Because you see, these judges actually point us forward to the coming of Jesus. They foreshadow what's getting ready to take place in the New Testament. A perfect Savior, not a broken Savior, who would provide deliverance from our sin. So tonight we're gonna take a look at one of the last judges that we find in the book of Judges. And he was a man by the name of Jephthah, all right? Jephthah. How many of you have ever heard of Jephthah before? Okay, that's pretty much what I expected, all right? Jephthah is someone you most likely have never heard about before because we never talk about him. We never talk about Jephthah in church. And there are some reasons for that, one of them being the fact that Jephthah has a very unique story that is often difficult for Bible scholars to explain. There's some different interpretations as to to how this story took place, but... The story of Jephthah has a very real application to our life. And so tonight we're going to take a look at a story that you're probably not familiar with, but as you will see, applies to our life in a very important way. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible app, I want you to open to to Judges chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 6. Judges chapter 10, starting in verse 6. And in verse 6, it says this. Again... The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals and the Ashtoreth and the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites and the god of the Philistines. And because the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites who that year shattered and crushed them For for 18 years they oppressed all of the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead in the land of the Amorites. All right, sound familiar? Every story in the book of Judges that we have looked at so far has started with that phrase, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now, you'd think at some point that the Israelites would begin to, to learn from their mistake. What's the, the definition of Insanity. It's doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a a different result. But unfortunately, the the Israelites, they still haven't learned their lesson. They have still chosen to, to worship other gods and to do what they felt was right instead of listening to the Lord. And so what does God do? He hands them over to the Ammonite people. And you see that the Ammonite people were one of their greatest enemies, The Ammonites, they were descendants of Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham, which we read about in the book of Genesis. And the Ammonite people, they were so corrupt, they were so evil, that God had actually commanded the Israelites never to to marry them. Essentially, God had told the Israelites, listen, you're never to to marry these people to, to be around them because of how evil they are. And now the Israelites, they find themselves in this situation where they're being oppressed by the Ammonites for, for 18 years. That's as old as some of you sitting in this room. And eventually, the, the Israelites, they get so sick and tired of this that they cry out to God for help. I want you to, to jump over to the next chapter in Judges chapter 11, verse 1. It says this. Now, Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. You see, just a few verses later, we are introduced to a man by the name of of Jephthah. And from birth, all right, from the day that he was born, Jephthah's life was not easy. You see, he was, was born from a prostitute, meaning that he was born outside of the marriage relationship. And so in the eyes of the law, he would have been considered an illegitimate son of Gilead. And you can imagine how... Jephthah would have been received by Gilead's other sons, his legitimate sons. These guys did not want anything to to do with Jephthah. And because they felt like their stepbrother was not part of their family, they eventually drove Jephthah away. And as a result, Jephthah was forced to settle in a nearby land. You see, from from birth, he's had a, a rough go of it. He doesn't have a stable home life or a family that's supportive of him. Look at what happens in verse 4. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now? When you're in trouble, the elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all of his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So you see, while Jephthah has been living uh, apart from his family, he begins to establish this reputation of being a a skilled fighter. He had some experience in, in war. And because of that, the elders of Israel are coming to him, asking for help, knowing that a war with the Ammonite people is coming. In their mind, they know that they are getting ready to to go to battle, and Jephthah, with the skill that he has, is the person that can help them. He's the person that can lead them to victory. Now, I totally get Jephthah's response in these verses, because he's essentially saying, listen, Y'all need to to hold up and wait a minute, because a couple of years ago, you didn't even want me to be part of your family. You didn't even want me to be around, and now you're telling me that you want me to come and to be the leader as we go off to war against the Ammonite people. You can imagine kind of this internal battle that's going on in his head a little bit, because he's trying to justify, okay, these people said they didn't want me, but now it comes down to the moment where they need me. What am I going to do? But you see, even despite how he must have been feeling, he agrees to help. Look in verse 12. Then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with this question. What do you have against me that you have attacked my country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's messengers. When Israel came up out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peacefully. You see, Jephthah's first move as as commander of the Israelite people was not to go to war with the Ammonites. You see, initially, he actually starts this negotiation with them. He attempts to to negotiate peace without having to to go to war. He's trying to, to get back this land that was the Israelites' land. Now, Obviously, we don't know that the tone, of ver- the, the tone of voice in which these verses were said. But when you read this, it kind of sounds like two kids fighting over a toy, right? Jephthah, he goes to the Ammonite king, and he's like, listen, man, this was our land. We had it first. And what's the response of the Ammonite king? He's like, no, it was mine. You got to get out of here. And you see this back and forth between Jephthah and the Ammonite king. Verses 14 through through 27. Go on to tell us that after this first attempt at negotiation had failed, Jephthah tries some other negotiation tactics. He tries to explain to the king the, the history of the land, the fact that it belonged to, to the Israelites first. He tries to explain to, to the king that, that God had given them the land. He tries to explain that they have been there for, for so many years. But after he has the opportunity to make all of these arguments to to try and avoid war, essentially the the king's not having any of it. He didn't pay any attention. And so look at what happens later in, in verse 29. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So this is where the the story begins to take a, a little bit of a turn. All right. In the heat of battle, Jephthah makes a vow to God. And Jephthah here is basically saying, listen, God, if you allow me to to win this battle, if you allow me to have victory over the Ammonites, then when I get home, I will sacrifice whatever comes out of my house first. Other translations of the Bible, instead of the word whatever, use the word whoever. Now, there's really two important things that, that you need to understand about this. Two important things. Number one, back then a vow was binding. This was not some prayer. This was not some random promise that Jephthah had made with God. This was a significant vow. It was a covenant between him and God. And if there is anything that we see, especially in the Old Testament, is that God takes his covenants very seriously. He takes his vows very seriously. And Jephthah, when he entered into this covenant with God, he would have been expected to hold up his end of the deal. He would have been expected to follow through on this vow. But not only are our vows binding, the other important thing that that we need to understand is that this vow should have never been made in the first place. This vow should have never been made in the first place. You see, under the the Mosaic law, which was the law at at the time, a human sacrifice would have been considered illegal. And as we read through the the book of Judges, we see that that Jephthah has an awareness, he has an understanding of this law. He has an understanding of these Old Testament teachings. And so most likely, he would have known that God would not have accepted a human sacrifice. Back then, this would have been a very, very foolish vow to make. After Jephthah makes this vow, verses 32 and 33 go on to to give us some details about the the war that takes place. God ultimately gives the, the Israelites victory over the Ammonite people. The Israelites not only had a victory, but they had a a decisive victory. It tells us that they destroyed over 20 towns when they took their land back. And you can imagine how Jephthah's feeling at this moment. He's just made this deal with God. God's come through on his side of of the covenant. And Jephthah's getting ready to return home. I'm sure to, to his family, to his friends. And you can imagine the joy and the excitement of the victory that they had just experienced. I'm sure if you were to talk to Jephthah at this moment, he was on cloud nine, probably. But look at what happens in verse 34. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels? She was an only child, except for he had neither son Nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and he cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Imagine the horror that Jephthah must be feeling in this moment. He has gone from one extreme emotion to another extreme emotion. Why? Because when he gets home, who is the first person that comes out of his house? It's his only daughter. It's his only offspring. And you can imagine how he must be feeling about this vow that he's made. The Bible tells us that he's so devastated, he literally tore his clothes. That was a sign of of grief and mourning back then. And he's overcome with, with emotion because now he knows that he's got to hold up his end of this covenant. I want you to see how his daughter responds in verse 36. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me... Just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept, because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father... And he did to her as he had vowed. And she was a virgin. When you read this story, it honestly leaves us with a lot more questions than it does answers. Questions like, did Jephthah actually kill his daughter? Or when it talks about a sacrifice, did he offer her life as as full devotion to God? Meaning that that she would never marry or have kids. And listen, I can't answer that question for you tonight. I don't know the answer to that question. In fact, there have been a lot of Bible scholars, a lot smarter than me, who've debated the outcome of this story for years and years. But listen, regardless of how this story ends, one thing is, is certain. One thing is for sure. And that is the fact that that Jephthah's bloodline did not carry on. His family essentially stopped with him because we know that he only had one daughter and she was a virgin. Jephthah's bloodline did not carry on. You see, this foolish vow that he made in the middle of, of battle forever altered the course of his life and the life of his family. So so what does this story mean for us today? What can we learn from from Jephthah's story over 2,000 years later? Listen, I know that, that none of you are sitting here tonight getting ready to make a life or death decision in the middle of a war. None of us are in that position. But listen, here's the reality. You and I are faced with decisions on a daily basis. Decisions that are both big and small. And as followers of Jesus, the decisions that you make are important. They matter. The decisions we make, they have the power to either draw us towards God or to push us further away from God. And we have to be aware of the decisions that we are making that will ultimately lead us to compromise what we say that we believe. Decisions that we will later end up regretting. Decisions that can have implications for for the rest of our lives. Listen, Jephthah's story is is proof of that. His bad example, it provides us a, a warning about two types of decisions that we should try to avoid. So so as we wrap up tonight, I want us to take a look at both of these decisions and how we can begin to to heed the warnings that we find in this story. The, The first type of decision that we should try to avoid are quick decisions in the heat of the moment. Number one, quick decisions in the heat of the moment. You see, Jephthah made a decision in the heat of the moment. He found himself in a position where he was under pressure. He was in the middle of battle. Think about it. He had the the burden of leadership on his shoulders. He was responsible for the lives of the men that were in his army. Emotions were running high. All he wanted to do was win. He was under one of the greatest amounts of pressure that probably a human being could have been under at the time. And this sense of, of pressure contributed to him making an impulse decision based off of his emotions and based off of his circumstances. It led to him making an impulse decision based off of his emotions and circumstances. Because listen, he, at the end of the day, he questioned whether or not God was going to deliver his people. He questioned whether or not God could bring the Israelites to defeat the Ammonites. And I'm sure he knew better. He had seen how God had provided not only for the Israelite people, but also how he provided for his life leading up to that point. He probably knew better. But because of the environment that he found himself in, he was more susceptible to making a decision that he knew was wrong. Listen, at some point, you are going to find yourself in a situation where you are under pressure. You're going to find yourself in a situation where it feels like all eyes are on you. You're going to find yourself in a situation where everyone else is is doing it. You're going to find yourself in a position where you don't feel like you have any support. You don't have somebody else to, to lean on. And listen, whenever you're in those situations... Although you may know what the wise, God honoring decision may be, it might not be the decision that you make because your emotions and your circumstances say otherwise. And when we lean into our emotions and our circumstances, especially in situations that are high pressure, what begins to happen is we make decisions that go against what we say we believe. And when we look back on those decisions days later, we're asking ourselves the question, okay, how did I even get here? Like, how was this even possible? Because you've made a decision that, that contradicts what you say you believe, a decision that, that you ultimately regret. Listen, you cannot wait until you are in the heat of the moment to make a decision. You cannot wait until you are in a pressure filled environment to make a decision. Wise decisions are often pre made ahead of time. Wise decisions, they are not rooted in our emotions, they're not rooted in our feelings, they're not rooted in our circumstances. Wise decisions are rooted in the truth of what God's word says. Wise decisions are come to you by, by seeking counsel from people in our lives that we trust. People like our small group leaders, our parents, people that have a little bit more experience than, than we do. Wise decisions come through seeking the Lord and in, in prayer. Listen to, to what Solomon, one of the wisest men to, to ever live says in Proverbs chapter 14, verse eight, he says, "'The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, "'but the folly of fools is deception.'" Listen, before you find yourself in a situation where you are in the heat of the moment, begin to to ask yourself these questions now. Questions like, what are the things that I'm unwilling to compromise on? How can I stay away from from the boundary line? What guardrails do I need to put into place? Are there specific situations that I need to avoid so that Regardless of the situation that that you find yourself in, you are prepared to make a decision that best honors God. Wise decisions are are pre-made ahead of time. Listen, can I just give you guys a a very real example of this? Something practical that that I know is coming up. For many of you, you guys have got homecoming coming up over the next few weekends. And for some of you, you're going to find yourself in some pressure situations. Your group is going to head to an after party at someone's house. You're going to be alone with your date. And in those moments, you're going to have some decisions to make. If you wait until the heat of the moment, when you're alone in a car, or all of your friends have red Solo Cups, it's going to become a lot harder for you to make a decision that honors God. So listen, here, here's my challenge to you. Instead of waiting and telling yourself, hey, listen, I'll, I'll figure it out when I'm in the moment, set yourself up for success now. Begin to think through how you're going to respond when that situation arises, for many of you, you probably don't even need to be in that situation at all because it's going to be a temptation that you might not be able to handle. Don't put yourself in a situation where you're going to make a quick decision that goes against your beliefs. Because wise decisions, they're often pre-made ahead of time. The second type of decision that we should try to avoid, number two, are our selfish decisions that impact those we care about. Selfish decisions that impact those we care about. The word selfish means lacking consideration for for other people. And if I were to ask you to to describe yourself, you're not going to use the word selfish as one of the words to, to describe you. But, when we make decisions, a lot of us are pretty selfish, whether we realize it or not. We don't think through how a decision is going to impact the the people that we care about most. Either because we're not really focused on it, it's not a big deal to us, or maybe we just don't care. And I'm sure this this might've been Jephthah's mindset too, when he made that that foolish vow to God. I wonder if it ever crossed his mind that that it was gonna be his daughter who stepped foot out of that house first. I wonder if it ever crossed his mind that he would have to to devote her to the Lord, whether that meant literal sacrifice or, or forever service to God. Listen, it really doesn't matter. Because either way, both Jephthah and his daughter were affected by the decision that he made. The Bible tells us that they were grieved. They were mourned because his implication had a decision that would impact them for for the rest of their lives. Listen, what we do, how we live, that the decisions that we make, it affects more than just us. Here's some, some examples. Listen, these are are common things that you probably have never thought about before. When you lie to your parents, when you make the decision to to lie to your parents, it affects them and their ability to trust you. When you make a decision to to gossip about your friend, it affects that person's view of the person that you're talking about. When you make the the decision to, to cheat on a test, It affects your teacher and the way that they view your character. Whether you realize it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, that the decisions that you make have lasting impact on the people around you and your decisions. They have the, the potential, they have the power to point people towards God or away from him. Listen guys, you all have a a lifetime of decisions ahead of you. You all have a a lifetime of decisions ahead of you. Some of you are getting ready to to make some, some really large decisions in your life. But the question that I wanna leave you with tonight, the question that I want you to ask yourself is this, Where are those decisions leading you? Big or small, whatever they are, where are those decisions in your life leading you? Is the overall trajectory, the overall path of your decisions, moving you towards God? Or are they moving you uh, away from God? Listen, I don't know where you're at tonight. And I know in a room this size, there's people who are on both ends of the spectrum. There's some of you in here tonight who you are doing your absolute best to to follow Jesus and to make decisions that honor him. And listen, tonight, I hope you feel encouraged to continue to do that, to continue to stand up, to continue to make the right decisions. But I also know that there's some of you in here tonight who you're struggling, You feel like recently you've made some decisions that you regret, decisions that contradict what you say that you believe. And if you were to to be honest about that question right now, that the trajectory of your life, when it comes to your decisions, they're not pointing towards God, they're pointing away from God. Here's what I love about Jephthah's story so much. Yes, he made a very dumb decision. He made a a foolish decision, a decision that I'm sure he regretted for, for the rest of his life. But the overall trajectory of his life, although we don't see it, was pleasing to God because in the New Testament, Jephthah is listed in the hall of faith. His name, is listed with the names of people that we commend for their faith in God. Despite his mistake, Jephthah was a man of faith in God. Listen to me. Will there be times when, when you make decisions that cause you to veer off course? Are there gonna be times where you make decisions that, that do not honor God? Yes. And that's going to happen to to each one of us in this room. That isn't to say that, that we should make unwise decisions knowing that God will forgive us. That's not what I'm saying. But listen, if our ultimate goal as followers of Jesus is to be faithful to the Lord, to continue to pursue the Lord in the decisions that we make, then he will also be faithful to see us through. And I'm telling you, God can use even the the worst of decisions that we make in our life to display his power and his glory and his strength. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that despite our mistakes, despite our shortcomings, despite our failures, God, you still choose to love us and you still choose to use us. God, it doesn't matter what our past looks like. It doesn't matter what we're walking in here with tonight. It doesn't matter that the track record of our decision-making. Lord, you have the power in our lives to use even the worst of our decisions to display your glory and your grace and your power. And so God, I lift up these students in here tonight, especially those of them that are struggling that feel like they have just been headed down the the wrong path when it comes to the decisions they're making. The ones that that feel stuck, that feel like, man, I just don't know how God can use me. God, I pray tonight that you would begin to to redirect their path. I pray tonight that you would begin to, to convict them of some of the decisions that they've made, that have gone against you, that have gone against what they say they believe. But God, in that, I pray that you will continue to to emphasize that you still love us and you can still work in our lives, even despite our greatest failures and our greatest shortcomings. God, we love you and we thank you for that truth tonight. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.